I remember just thinking, um, I don't want to live anymore. When I was like, you know, 17, 18 is when I first started drinking. I remember I told my mom and dad for the last time, like, hey, I need help. And I actually mean it this time. That's for those of you listening, whether you're a resident in the program, whether you're a family member, a current or a future supporter. But life today is good. When I was seeing it work in other people as well as myself, something just changed. I've got a little over five years of sobriety. This is the Hope Dealers Podcast. Well, hello. Yes, welcome back to the Hope Dealers Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fitzpatrick. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are on episode 11. 11. That's amazing. So glad you guys are still still continuing to tune in. I've got a wonderful guest here with me in the studio today, Mr. Taylor LaForge. He is a resident of Hope is Alive here in Oklahoma City. Taylor, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Thanks Fine. for having me, Sean. Yeah. Glad to have you here, man. Now, we were talking before we, uh, we started recording today. You've been here about three months? Yeah. Okay. And how's it going so far, brother? Man, I love it. It's, uh, I'm surrounded by a good group of guys. Um, you know, it's, it's just really great. You know, everybody builds me up here and, you know, I just felt like I fit in and uh, I'm growing as a human, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So are you from Oklahoma city or? Uh, I'm actually not. I was a born in Dallas, but I grew up in North Carolina. Okay. Born uh, in Dallas. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I grew up in North Carolina and came out here to Oklahoma city about 12 years ago. Okay. Okay. And then, so how old are you again? I'm 31. 31. Okay. So when did your addiction really begin? Uh, well, it's a good question. So, uh, first time I smoked pot, I was about 12. And, uh, by the time I was 15, I was smoking crack cocaine. Okay. That's how fast it can happen. Yeah, definitely. It's funny. I shared last week, um, on my story, how I started smoking pot when I was 14 with the idea of it being that I was just going to have some fun with some friends and get this little phase out of the way. But by the time I was 16, I had done every drug under the sun. <laughs> yeah. It's about the same here. Yeah. I started smoking crack and, um, did that for about eight months. Um, and then I was back to the weed and, you know, then it was to ecstasy and, um, but some kind of substance always. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always some, something to make me feel like, you know, like I could fit in my own skin. So was this like brought on by something in your childhood or were you just having fun, just trying out some new, some new uh, things? Really, it started out as just having fun and, and then I just liked the way that, that they made me feel. You know, I, I enjoyed getting high, yeah. you know, and early on I didn't really have the, the repercussions and all the consequences that come with, you know, sure. continued substance abuse. So I experienced those later. Yeah, later on. They always come. Um, so... Bring me through it a little bit. You know, you said you start smoking weed when you're 14. You're smoking crack by the time you're 16. Um, what is high school like? Oh, uh, well, high school, it it's kind of funny. So I was always really good in school. It's really smart mm. in advanced classes. Um, but my ADD would just kick in and wreak havoc. Gotcha. I'd get done with my work and, you know, get in trouble. So I did. I finished the first semester of high school. And then the second semester of high school, I got kicked out. Um Third semester of high school, I got kicked out. Fourth semester of high school, I got kicked out and never went back. I see. So you didn't finish high school? No, I did get my GED, though. Hey, right here. So did I. <laughs> um, and so basically, though, you're saying you, you were pretty good in school, but this is all because of 
the drugs you're using? Yeah, well, you know, the drugs never really interfered with school. Like, uh, I ended up, I had a full-time job at 14. Mm. Uh, I was a door-to-door newspaper salesman. Um, and so I was just smoking a lot of pot. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the crack kind of, you know, took that away a little bit. Sure. And you know, that was already after I got kicked out of high school. So um, then, you know, after the eight months of that, I moved back in with mom. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just still just smoking pot and really just being a lay around for a couple of years till I came to Oklahoma. Gotcha. Okay. And so what brought you to Oklahoma? Well, actually work. I came here to knock doors to sell the Daily Oklahoman. Okay. And when was this? Uh, that was probably 2010. Okay. 2010. 2010. And by so 2010, you moved to Oklahoma, you got a job here, and is your addiction starting to rise up, or is it still well, something you it think? hadn't started yet, like really bad. I was still smoking pot, um, and probably then I caught a case. In uh-huh. 2012, I was drinking. I, was, I would drink socially, but we would drink probably four or five days a week. Sure. I never, like, blackout drunk or anything. Just, you know, drink to party. No, because uh, alcohol is you know, that really acceptable yeah, substance out yeah, there. You, you could say that, you know, it is everywhere. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that all the time on here. It's everywhere. It's, it's, uh, it's promoted everywhere and something that a lot of our family members do, a lot of older friends. And, um, I, it's funny. I, I, I've thought about this a lot. It's like when you start doing drugs at such a young age and then you get a little older, you start drinking, that kind of feels like you're <laughs> like, you're being good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't really think that I was doing bad. I thought I was doing better because I wasn't smoking crack. And then I tried methamphetamine for the first time. Ah. And uh, I didn't like it. Um, I didn't like the way it made me feel. Um, And so I kind of just held off on it for a little while. And then my boss actually moved to Alabama. And after my case, I caught caught a case in 2012 as my first felony. Um, And once I signed for probation, my meth addiction really kicked off. Gotcha. Once you sign for probation, your meth addiction kicks yeah, off. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny how that works, but yeah, that's that's about what happened. Um, I started, you know, using meth daily. Uh huh. Um, you know, for a little over a year, then I caught another case, um, and then I got sober for almost a year. I found out that the mother of my second child, her mom, was in recovery. So you've got kids at this point. Yes. Okay. Yes. So let's back up to that. So I mean, you're a father. Yes, I am a father. I have two children. Um, Jeremiah is 13, um, and Austin is 8. Okay. Um, So Jeremiah lives with his grandma in Alabama. Um, I was 17 when he was born. Okay. Um, I didn't even get to meet him until he was 2. We were both really young, um, and his mom struggled with addiction as well. So um, he's lived with his grandma his whole life, but Austin is here in the city. Um, I actually, you know, one of the things that Hope is Alive has brought me is, you know, restoration with my son. Sure, you know, I'm able yeah. to be sober now, and so I get to see him every week. And yes. um, in a couple more months, God willing, you know, I'll be able to have unsupervised visits with him. So I'm so really, good, really bro. looking forward to that. So good. Love that. Um, well, that's amazing to hear. But we'll get to the happy stuff here in a little bit. Um, so back to what you were saying, you heard that the mother of your second child was doing what now? Yeah, well, her, her mom was in recovery. Okay. She introduced me to a, a program, sister program of AA, and uh, so I, I jumped in, you know, because I caught another case mm-hmm. when I got out of jail. I was like, uh, you know, her apartment was too small. She had just had my son, and I was like, man, I, I got to do something. So I actually moved into an Oxford house. Okay. Um, and, How old are you at this point? Uh. Let's see, that was 2014, so like 23. 
Okay. 23. Um, it was my first, you know, taste of sobriety. Like I got a contract for leaving a charger plugged in, you know, like they were, they were just really rude, you know, like felt superior, I guess, cause they had more sobriety than me. Right. So they ended up kicking me out, but I, I had a job working at Pace Butler mm-hmm. and a guy from there allowed me to move into his house. So okay. I stayed sober. Um, and then I ended up getting in a relationship and, you know, stopped going to meetings, stopped praying. And, uh, eventually I, I ended up relapsing on marijuana, yeah. um, for a couple of weeks. And then I was like, man, I can't do this. You know, like I gotta, gotta get back together. So I went back to a sober house and, uh, six months goes by, I'm sober working a program. And then, you know, same thing happened. I met another female mm-hmm. and I ended up relapsing in August of 2015 and by January, I was in jail. And that uh, that's when I went to prison. Wow. That's yeah. how fast it can all happen. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, like relapse in August, January, it's over with. So so you, it's 2015, making you 27? 20, 24. 24. 24. Okay, so 15, you were 24. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, before we keep going, I just want to ask, you know, what is it, you know, that first really like grabs you into substance? Like, you know, if you can look back, you know, you're 24 now, you're about to head off to prison. You didn't finish high school. You've got a pair of kids, but is there a certain point that you can look back to at this point and say, here's where it went, here's where it went wrong or. Man, you know, I, I never realized that, you know, it was, you know, causing issues in my life. Like I figured, you know, like, the cases that I caught were just like circumstantial. Um, even what kind of cases were there? If you don't well, want me asking the first time, uh, when I caught the case in 2012, it was actually a self-defense thing. It was a fight over a girl in a bar. Um, <laughs> I went to leave and so I, so another girl. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So just that's a recurring theme for our life. listeners out there, yeah, especially you guys who are still in the homes of hope is alive. There's a pattern if you're listening, yes, sorry, continue. Definitely. So, um, fight in a bar, um, they hit my buddy in the face with a bottle. As we go to leave, the guy comes up. He has something shiny in his hand. I didn't know what it was. I ended up running him over. Um, he lived, mm-hmm. um, and I ended up getting probation for that case. And then I was, I was, I was one day. I was, you know, high. I was living mm-hmm. in my own apartment. Um, this was right before I'd gotten sober. Right, right after my son was born, and I was riding a bicycle on the wrong side of the road and got pulled over on the bicycle and caught my second case. Um, and so then they put me, it was a, a suspended sentence then, so I officially became a felon. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so after the relapse in August, you know, I'd caught another case and they were wanting to send me to prison, so. I gotcha. So if I'm hearing you correctly, and I want those listening to hear this, you know, there's not a very specific moment when things go wrong for you. Uh, you just kind of start recreationally smoking some weed. Then you move on to crack. By this time, you've done everything. Then you've got a meth addiction, um, a pair of kids who I, I know you love dearly. But yes, before you know it, all this has happened just from trying some weed. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> you know, you know. Um, if I look back, I just I enjoyed the way that that drugs made me feel. Sure. Like I, I didn't feel like I was trying to hide from anything. I wasn't trying to heal from any trauma. Like I just enjoyed getting high. Yeah. And sometimes that's all it is, man. I mean, it's funny. A couple hours ago, I had somebody ask me up here, uh, one of our coworkers, she asked, she said, you know, what, what's your drug of choice again? And I said, 
you know, because I've told my story so many times at this point, I said, you know, if you listen to my story, you might hear that alcohol is my was my drug of choice. But really, I liked substance, anything that was going to make me feel different. Exactly. And for some of us, that's what it is. We didn't have a traumatic childhood. There wasn't this event. Um, and that's not to downplay those who do have that part of the story, but it, I still think it's important to touch on that. Sometimes this is, no, I just tried some weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and then it just, <laughs> the way it accelerates is just mind-blowing sometimes. Yeah, it's it, it definitely, I didn't realize that, like, you know, smoking a little bit of weed would eventually lead me, you know, to going to prison. But, you know, that's, if you put all the points together, like, that's exactly what happened. Like, I didn't sure. discriminate. I, I like drugs and women, and mm -hmm. both of those led me to prison, so... Gotcha. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, I want to hear more about post-prison and what brought Taylor to Hope is Alive. We'll see you in just a minute. This episode of the Hope Dealers podcast has been brought to you by Finding Hope Support Groups. Finding Hope is a support group for loved ones of addicts. Through our meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones who have been impacted by addiction. Finding Hope Support Groups currently has 40 meetings across the country. To find out more, visit findinghope.today. Okay, Taylor, so you go to prison, you're 24 years old, and when do you get out? Well, so I got arrested January 30th of 2015, and I discharged Friday the 13th, September 2019. So almost four years. Wow. And not to get into, you know, specifics, but what was, what's that experience like for you? Is that just... Uh, you know, when I got out, I had the feeling, like, after doing a little bit of self-reflection, like, I felt like a child that was being disciplined by putting in the corner... And forgotten about. Okay. That's how I felt. Like prison, you know, it's just like, you know, jail. Like you got a bunch of guys around, you know, it's a lot of respect. You know, you really try to pay attention to yourself, not offend anybody and stay in your own lane and you'll be okay. Sure. Um, but it was, it was hard. You know, I didn't get to see my mom the whole time I was locked up and I just felt forgotten about. I gotcha. So when you come home, what's the next step there? Well, uh, I got out. You know, st I was still using drugs in prison. So I got out and, you know, it was basically like I hit the ground running. Mm. Yeah. And does your family know that you're still using drugs in prison? Uh, yeah, my mom knew. Um, I actually put her under the gun a couple of times and, you know, had her bail me out of debt. And, uh, you know, like she was expecting to have her son back when she drove all the way from North Carolina to Ponca City to pick me up. And it, that wasn't the case. So. I see. So you're feeling forgotten about, but you're not really taking a step back and looking at how, from their perspective, it doesn't seem like you've learned much. Right. Yeah. Now I can see that, but at the time, sure. No, yeah. At the it's, time, it's no, easy it's to see it now. Like, you know, I, I didn't. I always had this feeling. You know, my entire life is like, what's it to anybody else if I'm using drugs? Mm. You know, and it, it took me a while, and even after that prison sentence, going in and out of jail, to finally learn that the people that love me are affected by my drug use Yes, because, you know, they care about me and they want to see me do good. Yeah, man. It's an easy cycle to get lost in when we're using drinking, whatever. And even though things aren't going well for us, to put it lightly, um, we still in our head are like, back off. Like why, you know, what do you care? Exactly. Like, like, and really, you know, what they're hearing when we say that is like, will you please just let me self-destruct over here? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it was, you know, um, 
and by that point, you know, I had up, upgraded, I guess you could say, um, to intravenous use, and mm-hmm. it was so it got really bad really fast. Yeah, after I'd gotten out, and you're just probably wondering in your head, like, you know, why does everybody else get to use or have fun and party and this and that, and you guys are just all over my case. Yeah, well, you know, my thing was like, how come nobody else could, gets locked up all the time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I remember someone told me once, they said, uh, yeah, plenty of other people do it. You're just the one who keeps getting caught. Yeah, I've heard that many times. Yeah, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. So, but you keep going. Yeah. Just keep on heading down that path. Four years in prison doesn't really change much for you. If anything, it's made things worse. Yeah, I, I would say I would say so. Um, so I got out and met a girl at a hotel that I was staying at with my mom. Did you hear that residence again? We're going back to the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So and even to you, sorry, and even to you, family members listening, like this is a pattern that we all fall into. Yeah. So uh, I talked her into coming back to North Carolina with me, um, and so she ended up coming with me. I just. She drove up to Kansas where me and my mom were with my other family who I hadn't uh-huh. seen in years. And I was, she just showed up and I was like, hey, mom, like this, this, this her, like she's coming with us, you know, like. And your mom is probably just like, she my was like, goodness. Yeah, she was just shocked. And um, Looking back, that was a really dark time in my life, you know, because mm-hmm. my mom was so excited to see me and like all she got was a shell. Yeah. Um, so it just, it, it progressed and I, I started catching cases in different states and catching a case in Texas. Um, I was going to go to rehab, but they actually kicked me out because of COVID. It was right when COVID started. I see. So then I come to Oklahoma and catch a case, and they kicked me out because they didn't file it. Mm. And I go back to North Carolina and catch four different cases. And is, all these cases are drug-related? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I was definitely you know under the influence of drugs. Um, there was a couple stolen cars, you know, because I had to support my addiction somehow. I didn't have a job. Right. Um, but yeah, just looking back, you know, out of all the cases I caught, they're all drug related or all behind drugs. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that is important to, uh, to note because I know myself and I know other people. It's like, I, I went to jail about six or seven times alone just for not paying traffic tickets. Um, but why was I not paying those traffic tickets? Because that was money that could be better spent on drugs exactly. and my habits. Yeah, we got habits to support. Um, so even if you're not getting arrested directly for, you know, possession or a DUI or something like that, but it all ties back to the same thing. Yeah. And is there any point in any of this when you're like, okay, <laughs> the common denominator here seems to be the same thing. Or are you just like, man, I really just, they've got it out for me. Well, you know, I, I realized that drugs were my issue Yeah. Um, because, you know, I had a small taste of sobriety before. So I knew, you know, what being in recovery would do to my life. Like I knew that it was possible to yeah. change my life. Um, I just, I w- at that point, I wasn't ready to surrender again because it- Do you it, feel like you're too far gone uh, or are you just not ready? I, I think I just wasn't, I wasn't ready. Like I had, you know, the females in my life and it's just like, you know, what's going to happen when you get clean and all this stuff's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I guess I, I was probably kind of scared of that. Um, and surrendering is, is, is kind of scary at first sure. because you don't know what you're walking into. 
Um, but the thing with me is that I knew what I was going to get if I surrendered. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, I was just waiting for it. Like mm -hmm. I knew that I had a good thing coming. All I had to do was surrender. And, uh, I just, I just wasn't ready. It, it took, you know, more jail. Yeah. That's a common thing for a lot of people that are stuck in addiction is even when they can realize, you know, like I said, what the common denominator is or what, you know, like you said, you know, the drugs is their issue. Um, they, they really, a lot of them will have it in their head that it's like, well, I'm going to get it together though. Like, you yeah, know, it's always tomorrow. Right. Exactly. I was just about to say that, you know, like, no, tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to get out of the rest of the day. And like tomorrow I won't yeah. use anymore. Yeah. Tomorrow's the day that I get it together and get cleaned up and all that stuff. So, so this continues on for a while, I'm guessing a couple more years at least. Well, uh, so I caught the case in Oklahoma and they had ended up filing on it. Um, so they had a warrant, but it was an in-state warrant. So, ah. so they weren't going to come get me. You know, I was catching cases in other states. But I had actually come back to Oklahoma, um, you know, to visit. I had, my, I had an, another girl with me mm. um, in a car that wasn't stolen. So we drove out here, and I ended up getting picked up on the warrant. And uh, I was trying to get into drug court, but they told me since the type of case that I had, they they wouldn't let me. So... They ended up letting me out on an ankle monitor to get a mental health assessment to get into mental health court. I see. Yeah, well, I ended up, you know, cutting the ankle monitor off, you know, like we do. And As go back we do. To, go back to North Carolina. I get an email from my lawyer. tells me that I got accepted into drug court. And at this point, you know, like, I'm out on bond in North Carolina. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go back to Oklahoma and turn myself in. You know, yeah. like, I got better things to do, you know. Got drugs to do. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's got to do them. <laughs> yes so uh i ended up getting caught one last time um i went on a high speed chase by the grace of god i didn't didn't crash i ended up running out of gas um wow so, uh, yeah so, that's not a god thing i don't know I mean. yeah and so again females with me um she tells the police you know that i have drugs in under the vehicle and so now i'm sitting in county jail facing 70 months in prison minimum Wow. Yeah. So it was really kind of scary. And at that point I realized like something's got to give, like, I, I don't want to keep going to jail. Like I'm done with jail. Um, you know, at this point I'd missed from 16, 17, 18, 19, 2020, 21 and 20 or 21, you know, so that's seven Christmases gone, seven birthdays. Like it's just so many holidays and so much time I've missed with my kids and my family. Something had to give. So after 13 months there in, in North Carolina, uh, they let me get probation. They dropped it down um, to attempted, attempted trafficking. And I thought Texas was going to come and pick me up, but Oklahoma came and got me. Okay. And this was the shocker. So I get to Oklahoma County on a Sunday and Thursday they call me to court. And this lady walks up and she's got papers in her hand. And I like look at the papers and they say drug court on them. And so like it was... It was just, this is where, like, God started to get me to where I am now. Yeah. Um, because, like, they had already told me that I couldn't get in, and then the lawyer emailed me and told me that I was in. Um, and this was, had, this was, like, 16 months later. Yeah. You know, I'd been sitting in the county jail. So I ended up pleading into drug court. Wow. And they let me out the next day. And is that what leads you to... Well, um, it's almost. So I, I have a buddy of mine um, 
been friends since as, as long as I've been in Oklahoma. We actually used to use together, but now he's a pastor. Okay. And, um, you know, he's just a really pillar. He's a really good pillar in the community. You know, like he's just so alive with Christ. It's, it's amazing just to be in the same room with him. Yeah. Um, and so I had yet to reach out to him. I ended up getting in a sober living house and I wasn't really working a program. I was just going to work every day. Um, and then, you know, those, those thoughts crept back in and I was mad. I had a resentment at drug court. They said that, you know, cause that the marijuana I'd, I'd used when I got out of jail. Um, and so as it was getting out of my system, they said I passed three drug tests and then I failed one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you know, that's impossible. I didn't use, mm-hmm. um, but they gave me community service anyway. Well, it's not a big deal. I just, yeah. you know, I had you're not resentment. very trustworthy at this point. Yeah. They're not really ready to believe you on that one. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, it just seemed like a good idea. I'd gotten paid early and, uh, the mother of my child needed a ride. So, uh, you know, I ended up using, so I left that sober house and I was using for about two weeks. And, uh, I was like, man, you know, like I'm going to go back to prison if I don't stop. Like, because at this point I knew, like I just done 13 months and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So I ended up going, getting into an Oxford house. Um, it was a different Oxford house than the original one. Um, and I started working the program. Yeah. My life started getting a little better. But, you know, one thing that at this point I realized that females were an issue in my life. Sure. So I wanted to work on that and, and grow in that area. But I was surrounded by guys, even though they were sober, you know, like they weren't, you know, they weren't really worried about, you know, having girlfriends or whatever. Um, so I talked to my sponsor about it and he mentioned Hope is Alive. Wow. So really, all the work that we do at Hope is Alive with our process addictions and sex and love addicts anonymous, that is what brought you to us. That is specifically why I came to Hope is Alive. Wow. Allison Lang, I hope you're listening right now. That's amazing, brother. And so you've been here about 90 days now? Yeah, so I'll be here 90 days on the 20th. Got the date? I love it. Yes. Just like me. Dates are huge. Yes, they are. Dates are very huge. And isn't it funny, on that note, when you get sober, everything just turns into months like people will say you know how much time do you have and you don't always say like oh three years or three and a half years it's like no i've got 42 months or whatever exactly like I, yeah and i know the, the exact day yeah you know like they say it's kind of important and i believe that like it's very important to you know remember you know important dates and i specifically remember that you know august 19th was the last day i used any mind-altering substance that's awesome bro and since being here, you know, it seems like you just fit right in. I know you're always running around taking pictures at meetings, which guys like myself really appreciate. And you're living in the house that I did my program in, which is awesome. H4, shout out. It's a lovely house. Great house. They're all beautiful, though. <laughs> yes, they are. So to the person out there who might still be struggling, whether that's in the home and they're just having a hard time or to, you know, to the family member who has somebody struggling, what would you say today? Um, I would tell them to just tell somebody, you know, if, if they're struggling on the inside and they know that they're struggling, like tell somebody, Yeah. you know, sometimes we're screaming and crying on the inside, but on the outside, we're presenting that mask that, you know, everything's fine, Yeah. you know, because, you know, we don't want to disappoint people that, that love us. We don't want to disappoint our parents or our brothers or sisters or kids, you sure. know, for that matter. Um, so I would, you know, t- tell somebody. Just tell somebody that you're hurting and what you're going through. Sure. And, uh, you know, there's places out there that can help, you know, like I had to go to prison, you know, 
that's what it took for me to realize like something's got to give. Yeah, absolutely. You just got to say something. And I know it's hard for those of you listening, whether even if you are still staying sober right now, like I said, and you know, you're, uh, and you're just having a tough time. I know it's hard to really open up and say something, but I promise you the rest of your life will be forever changed just by a few words of I need some help. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that, that was a life changer for me is reaching out to my buddy of mine and was like, look, man, like I need some help. You yeah. know, like you know, I had gotten sober, but you know, I, I needed, you know, something more. And so, you know, that's why I'm so grateful for hope is alive. You know, it's, it's kind of funny how, how I didn't have any money at the time. And so I applied for a scholarship and they told me, no, like, I was like, well, you know, like I'll try to get the money up well, like three weeks later. Um, my program manager calls me and he's like, I got some good news. You got accepted wow. for a partial scholarship. Like if you can just come up with, you know, so X amount of dollars. And I was like, well, yeah, like, can I move in tonight? So <laughs> I showed up like nine 30 at night. It was, it was just a funny deal. I guess uh, the power company was working on the power. Yeah. And so we're do doing my intake in the dark. Um, That's and funny. then all of a sudden <laughs> the power comes back on. It was just, it was, it was really cool. Like they welcomed me at the door and like, mm -hmm. I just, I felt, like I was at home and yeah. it's just, I love the energy and the culture. And, you know, like I try to apply those codes in my life, those culture codes, man. Like, cause, I, idea, cause I get to be here and it's, yes. I, I don't want to be anywhere else. Yes. Well, that's awesome to hear. Taylor, thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us today. Wonderful, wonderful uh, way to give back. As we know, it's just by sharing our story. Just, Thanks for having me, Sean. Yeah. Just sharing really appreciate it. it. Sharing it with those who need to hear it. Well, for those of you listening, thank you so much. Be sure to share this and uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, let the, you know share this with somebody who needs to hear it. That's the whole idea of the Hope Dealers podcast. As we say every week, just sharing those stories of radical life change. Be sure to uh, comment and give us a five-star review. That always helps. And we will see you again next time. This is the Hope Dealers podcast. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. To hold me back, take my time, just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so alive.